Hey, it's Liberty. Before we get started today, I just wanted to give you a heads up that my side of today's show sounds like I am the great and powerful Oz. Spoiler, I am not the great and powerful Oz. Uh, for reasons unknown, my side of the phone call came out sounding all very important. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know that I'm really sorry. No idea what happened. Uh, because of the quick turnaround time, you know, we want to get it right out to you. Uh, it's going to be in there. Um, but I promise it won't happen again. And thank you for listening. And without further ado, here's today's show. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 147, and today we are talking about books being released on February 27th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here is my fellow well redhead Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm pretty warm today, which is nice. I like being warm. That's nice. How about you? I'm uh, well rested, and I finally finished the Kevin Kwan Crazy Rich Asians series that I had been doling out to myself on trips because it's like perfect travel fiction. It's so absorbing and fun. So I finished um, China. No, China Rich Girlfriend was the second one. I finished Rich People Problems on a flight yesterday, and I'm very happy about how great it was and also now sad that the series is over. Well, maybe he'll do some more. I hope so. I'm excited. There's the movie of the first one is coming out this summer, and I'm hopeful oh, that like great. it'll be huge, and then they'll want him to write a million more books, because I would read a book in this series like every three to six months, I think. If he could turn them out at that pace, I would, <laughs> I would be here for it. They are so much fun. So I'm good. I'm like, you know, coming off a good book buzz. Yeah. I'm not well-rested. Can I complain for a second? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't sleep anyway, and then I make it worse by watching True Crime before I go to bed. But, <laughs> like, so last night, I have this little tiny dry erase board that occasionally falls off the wall. Um, it makes a loud noise, like it, it's the cats knock it down or something. Like, it does that. So, like, last night, it's like 3.30, and I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I hear it fall down. And so I go to get it, because otherwise I'll forget it, and then I'll forget what's on it and what I'm supposed to do. I could not find it. I was like, there's only one place it can go, and that's down behind my desk, and I could not find it. Like, I, I was losing my mind. I was like, okay, it has now gone through some kind of time warp thing in space. Like, it is now, like, on a different plane. It's, it's landed in, it like, a different... It dropped through a black hole. It's, like, in a different time. It's going to be, like, a canticle for Leibowitz. Like, people are going to find it, and they're going to, like, look at my grocery list, and they're going to start naming their kids, like, tissues and cat litter deodorizer and stuff, because they're like, ugh, it fell from the sky. Oh, man, someday I need I to read that so I can it. get the joke. Oh, they find it, they find Leibowitz's grocery list. Anyway, it's just like, I could not find it. And then this morning, I finally discovered it. It rolled like, and it's not square, so it didn't even roll it, like squared away, like way far away, like behind the bookcase. I had no idea how this happened. Like none. Did the cat, maybe the cats did it. They can't even fit back there. Anyway, I feel much better having like, because I couldn't get to sleep because I couldn't find it. I feel better having complained about it. 
anyway. Good. I'm glad that you let that out. Um, before we get into the show, I want to remind our listeners, or you know, if you haven't been here in a while, or maybe this is your first time, welcome. Uh, right now, the reminder, though, is that Book Riot is giving away $500 worth of Penguin cloth-bound classics that are designed by Coralie Bickford-Smith. These are gorgeous books. They include favorites from Dickens, George Eliot, Mary Shelley, and Tolstoy, and many more. The giveaway is open until March 13th of 2018. Go to Instagram.com slash Book Riot to enter. When you go there, you'll see a sticky post at the top of our Instagram profile where you can click to enter the giveaway. $500 of Clothbound Penguin Classics. They're like beautiful beautiful books. I'm only a little bit sad that staff and contributors are not allowed to enter this giveaway because I want these. It, it would just change your Instagram game immediately. Like <laughs> I look at those, I always stop on those pictures, the people that have all of them. And I was saying this last week, I'm always like, I wish I could have all those as I spend money on like a million other books, <laughs> you know, but they're gorgeous. They're so pretty. They are beautiful. So Instagram.com slash book riot, enter to win those and give yourself a treat. All right, lady. It's been, it feels like it's been a while since we did this. I miss you in between episodes. I know. I miss you. Tell me about some books. Well, before I tell you about some books, can I just say a shout out? I want to say hello to August. He's listening at home. Or I think he's at home. He could be in the car. He's not old enough to drive. He's only eight. So if you're driving, August, please pull over and wait for your mother <laughs> to come get you. Um, but if not, hi. Hello, August. Hi, August. Um, please don't listen to the second segment of this show. It'll scare you. Um, anyway, so my first pick is not even a book that came out today. It's a book that came out last week that I didn't get to read until the night that it came out. And I'm so obsessed with it. I can't stop talking about it that it's going to be my first book today. It's, it's called, your party. Oh, it's called All the Names They Used for God, Stories by Anjali Sachdeva. It is... Oh my goodness! Like, it just melted my face. Like, flat out, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, my face melted off. I'm totally fine with that. It's so good. Like, each story is so different and singular in its brilliance. And she's such an amazing writer. I mean, I read two stories and I was like, this is the best. And, and I kept going, of course, and it's amazing. Um, the first story is about a woman who's sensitive to light and, and she's very pale. And so she doesn't have a lot of friends because it's a long time ago. So, like, there's a lot of prejudice. People think there's something wrong. You know, she lives by herself. Um, but she discovers that she loves being under the ground, like she finds some underground caves and she feels better like when she's crawling around in the caves. Um, there's one about a man who is involved in an accident at a factory um, and he inhales a bunch of asbestos and now he's like, he was this very strong man and taking care of his daughter and now he's very weak and his daughter takes care of him. But then she falls in love with an archaeologist and they all go to, to Egypt and like their adventures there. There's one about a fisherman who sees a mermaid while he's out to sea and then can think of nothing else and like becomes obsessed with like seeing this mermaid like wants to go out all the time and you know doesn't isn't interested in anything else which it takes place in Portsmouth, New Hampshire which is like basically where I am just right across the river which is exciting. Um, there's one about the humans being conquered by an alien race and like what that looks like um, and what the aliens do to the humans like now that they've taken over the planet. Um, there's the title story is about two girls in a village who are kidnapped by a terrorist organization and kept. Um, it's so sad and just amazing. Uh, she just, it, they each made me feel emotions so deeply. Like when I was reading them, I was like, I'm getting very claustrophobic reading about this woman climbing around in the caves. And, it's I'm, magic. and I'm feeling very stressed out because you know me, I'm terrified of things in the water. So like reading about like the mermaid story and like there's a shark swimming around, I'm like, oh, oh, 
oh, oh, this is so stressful, and I love it. I mean, it's just, and I felt like so sad and so happy. It's just, I loved it so much. I was completely awestruck by these stories. And it might end up being my favorite book of the year, which has never happened with a story collection ever. So I Come just, I, <laughs> I just love it so much. So again, it's called All the Names They Used for God, Stories by Anjali Sachdeva. I'm going to have to see if I have that because it was oh, all over so your good. internet. And yes. I could tell how much you were loving it. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. My first pick this week is Don't Call Me Princess. It's a collection of essays by Peggy Orenstein. These are essays on girls, women, sex, and life. Um, If you're not familiar with Peggy Orenstein, she has been writing about women's issues and feminism since the late 80s, really. Um, And she's had quite a career. She had a book out called Cinderella Ate My Daughter a couple of years ago. Um, Another one, I believe last year, maybe the year before, called Girls and Sex. That's about the new landscape of what it is to be a woman and deal um, with sex in the culture, like, you know, what technology has done to dating and, ex, you know, sexual expectations, that kind of thing. Uh, man, I hope that August is not listening to this segment. Um, <laughs> so this is not new work. These, This is a collection of her work from 1989 up through the present. Um, and it's mixed and matched. So it's not in chronological order. They're chunked by what kind of essay it is. And so there's the first section of the book is profiles that she wrote. Uh, like there's a profile of Gloria Steinem, um, profiles of some feminists that I had not heard of before I read the book because they were prominent in the late 80s or early 90s and you know before I came to feminism. Um, so it was cool to read those. Um, then she also has sort of personal essays and pieces mixed through about um, her experiences with infertility, an experience that she has with miscarriage. She had breast cancer and she writes a very scathing uh, look at pink ribbon culture Uh, and all just all kinds of things. It's very far ranging, this collection. I think what makes it the most interesting is that it ranges so many ideas and also a couple of decades. And each piece, I always yearn for this when I'm reading an anthology of someone's work, each piece has a new has an introduction that she's written that puts it in the context of the time, both of what was happening in the world at the time and why this piece was significant in her work, why she was even, you know, writing about the person she was writing about, but also the context of where feminism was at the time and where feminism is now. So it's really interesting to see the shift in the things that she focuses on in pieces from 1989 versus how she talks about an issue in a 2012 piece. Um, I think it's a really interesting look at one feminist writer's career over several decades and also where women have been and how we, you know, where we are now and maybe how far we haven't come yet. Um, Really interesting. I'll say it's not perfect. There's no such like, there's no such thing as the perfect collection of feminist essays. And Peggy Ornstein does tend to focus on um, issues that like she's been assigned to write about issues that are um, things that affect, you know, uh, educated women, um, predominantly white women. And it's very interesting to see the progression as her work comes closer to the present day of expanding that out to approach intersectionality. Um, So if you want to see sort of how that conversation has evolved, at least for one writer, you can see that a little bit in this book as well. Again, it's called Don't Call Me Princess, Essays on Girls, Women, Sex, and Life by Peggy Orenstein. I think if you like this collection, you will like the rest of her work. This might be a way into a new writer on your radar. Well, all right. 
Oh, and I did want to give a shout out this week because in addition to this book, one of my favorite collections of essays from last year, which was an anthology of a bunch of different women writers, is called Double Bind Women on Ambition. It was edited by Robin Rom, and it's out in paperback today. Um, So pick that up. Speaking of a bunch of young women. Ooh, hey. Her first sponsor is a book that I talked about last week that I loved. I read half of it, and I loved so much. And I have still read more of the stories, but I have the novella left to go. It is Dreadful Young Ladies and Other Stories by Kelly Barnhill. It is her dynamic collection of short stories for adults. She wrote uh, the Newbury Medal winning uh, The Girl Who Drank the Moon, but she's also an outstanding writer of adult short fiction, and she has won the World Fantasy Award. And this stunning collection, it's so good. Kelly's singular voice and storytelling prowess are on full display, and the result is literary alchemy, nine hypnotic tales that explore bold and changeable visions of love, yearning, enlightenment, belief, and hope. Now it is your turn to jump into the magic. You're in for an enchanting and entertaining time. And I second that totally because I I just absolutely loved it. If you like Kelly Link, if you like Neil Gaiman, if you like Karen Russell, if you like Margot Lanigan, it's just so fantastic. So again, it is called Dreadful Young Ladies and Other Stories by Kelly Barnhill. It is out now from Algonquin Books, and you can get it wherever books are sold. We will have a link to it in the show notes. That one's also been on my pile. I'm just going to What if we just got to take a couple weeks off and just read? (sighs) Who do we talk to about that? I'm pretty close. I mean, I have a pretty good as it is, (laughs) but you know. Um, so my next pick, before I get started, uh, I want to give you trigger warnings. It, I will mention sexual assault and murder. Um, and also, just if you are just sensitive to this kind of stuff, it's, it's about true crime. Um, it, it scared the hell out of me more than any book I've read in a very long time. So I will just say that before I go ahead and talk about it. But I thought it was fantastic. Um, the book is called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. It's by Michelle McNamara. Uh, it's so she had one of the first like really famous true crime podcasts. She was obsessed with true crime and she talks about the murder of a woman in her neighborhood uh, that started her interest in it. Like she was, I think, 11 or 12, if I remember correctly. Um, and she became like obsessed with true crime because they never caught the person who did it. And in the 1970s and 1980s, there was a man called the East Area Rapist. They called him Ear, which is a terrible acronym. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible thing. Nothing is good about this. Um, she, he committed uh, 50 sexual assaults in Northern California and then moved down the state and committed a bunch more as well as 10 murders. Like, it escalated. His crimes escalated. Um, and he was never caught. His crimes just stopped. You know, so, like, they think, you know, either he's dead or he was in prison for something else and he was never found out. Um, and so she became obsessed specifically with him, Michelle McNamara. She wanted to find out who he was, you know, like, 30 years later with all this technology and, and, you know, people's memories. And you could, like, look at these files now. Like, could she put this together? She also changed his name. She started calling him the Golden State Killer. And she spent as much or more time studying him than even law enforcement ever did. Um, she bought a pair of cufflinks that he had stolen from a, a, a house. He used to steal these like random little things that didn't mean anything to anyone. Um, she tracked down a pair like 30 years later. She found them in like this gift shop online. And it's just, it was just so crazy. And she talks about like all the terrible things that he does. I mean, he is scary. The title of the book comes from the fact that he was kidnapping a woman. And he, he said, if you scream, I will kill you. 
and then you'll be silent and I'll be gone in the dark. Like he's, he's super creepy. I mean, it's like without a doubt, you know, but her writing is amazing. But here's the other thing about this book. Michelle McNamara died two years ago. She died in her sleep. It was this complete freak thing. She was 43, 46 years old. Um, this book was finished by her husband, the actor Patton Oswalt, and her editor by using her notes that she had left. She was close to, to finishing her book. Um, there is a wonderful intro in the book from Jillian Flynn, who was a huge fan of Michelle McNamara, is like a huge fan of her podcast. If you listen to My Favorite Murder, that podcast, they are big fans of her work as well as personal friends of hers um, and think so highly of her. And she just, everyone seemed to think so highly of her. And even in reading like this super dark book, she seemed like a really delightful person. Um, there is an afterword by her husband, Pat Oswald, but I didn't read it because I wasn't ready to like cry a whole bunch. I read an essay about losing her a couple of years ago and that nearly killed me. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just hold off on this. But if you like true crime, it, it doesn't get much better than this. Like I said, it scared me a lot. Like, you know, my boyfriend would come home and I'm like super jumpy now and who's at the door and stuff like that, you know? And there is something like fun about being scared like that, but you know, it also, it's just, it's fascinating. And she's a great writer. She was a great writer. Uh, so again, it's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and it's by Michelle McNamara. Whew. I'm home alone tonight, which I can say because <laughs> I won't be home alone by the time this show airs. And I was thinking like, oh, this sounds good. And then you started describing it. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen tonight. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I started, I moved some stuff in my basement and I've been using it as like a track. Mm-hmm. And I read this book and I replaced like all the light bulbs and <laughs> everything and the locks and everything because I was like, yeah. okay. Man, I made the mistake of reading Bird Box when I was home alone one night yeah. and I don't, I don't recommend that either. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, keeping, I guess, with the accidental theme of at least my first couple of picks today, my next one is A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance, a feminist handbook on fighting for good by Emma Gray. Uh, this is intended for girls and women of all ages. I do object to the term girl in the title. Like, I know it's just supposed to be fun, but this is not intended just for kids. Um, this is intended for girls and women of all ages. Um, Emma Gray was the, or is the executive women's editor at HuffPo. And following the 2016 election and all of the emotion and then the march, like following that initial you know, surge of energy and activism, she started thinking about how do you stay engaged for the long term, potentially for four or eight years? How do you keep fighting and resisting in your own way while you also are trying to be a person who has to go to school or who has to go to work and who has a family to deal with? And, you know, like, basically, how do you find this balance of activism and sanity in your real life. And so she um, uses her journalism background to try to get answers to those kinds of questions by talking to um, prominent thought leaders and um, march organizers and senators and activists and people who have been involved in various political movements. And she weaves information from their interviews along with her own experiences and um, info from going to a bunch of different kinds of marches and gatherings and resistance events to create this guide about, you know, how to resist um, and also not go crazy in the process. So there's really good nitty-gritty information, I think, especially if you have kids or you're, you work with young people, not just young women, because feminism is not just for girls, um, but if you work with young people, there's stuff about how to choose good news sources and make sure that you're getting you know, good, quality, vetted information. Um, how do you find ways to get 
involved and then motivation to stay involved and also mix in self-care. There's a look at women-centric workspaces and how to create your own. And there's also, you know, all kinds of resource information about like how to make phone calls, numbers to call, organizations that you could get involved with or you could donate to, a script to use if you're going to call your representatives. And it's just, you know, sort of far-ranging and great. Um, I think very, it's pretty basic, but in a good way that, you know, if you just don't know where to start or you're still feeling like either overwhelmed by all of the options for participating in the resistance in some way, or maybe you're just coming around to that notion and you don't know, you know, what, how to jump in. This is a good place to, to start looking. The interviews include Elizabeth Warren, um, the actress Ashley Judd, Carmen Perez, who co-chaired the Women's March, um, Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matter, their, um, are all sorts of folks interviewed in this book. And so I think whether you're old or new to activism, you'll find something useful. If you're newer, it will be more useful. Um, so again, that's A Girl's Guide to Joining the Resistance, a feminist handbook on fighting for good by Emma Gray. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I have no good segue. Um, so I'm just going to say that sometimes you receive a book, you know, you get it in the mail or you see it at the store and you just know without reading it that it's going to be amazing, that this mm-hmm. book could change your life, that it's going to win all the awards, you know. And uh, I knew that when I received this book, Baby Monkey, Private Eye. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's by Brian Selznick, who wrote um, Wonder and the Invention of Hugo Cabret, and he wrote it with David Serlin. Um, it's actually, it's a picture book. But I want to talk about it because I'm like so crazy about it. It's so cute. It's a picture book, but not like one of those like 45 page super sized picture books. It's more like a regular novel, um, but it's mostly pictures. It's mostly pictures. But each chapter has Baby Monkey. It opens with him. He's in his office. He's laying on his couch and he's reading a book. And each of the books that he's reading at the beginning of the chapters corresponds with the crime that he's going to have to investigate. Like he's reading a book called Famous Circus Crimes, you know, when a clown comes in and is like, someone stole my nose. And so now, like, also not just the book, but when you go back and look, the artwork, like the bust on his desk and the paintings and the furniture and everything have to do with, like, the time period that he's investigating or have to do with circuses and, you know, clowns and stuff like that. Um, And and then it corresponds to each crime. Uh, So now Baby Monkey's like, okay, he's got a crime. He's got to find this guy's nose. Uh, But before he can do anything, he has to put on pants. And it's a real, it's a real struggle for him. There are I many pages. I feel the struggle, Baby Monkey. Yeah, I feel it. That was where I really identified with Baby Monkey in these moments when he's like, oh, ah, trying to put it there on his head. He's got him on his tail. This is like deep stuff, deep important stuff. Um, and of course, he always solves the crime. So it's just, it's so cute. What really makes it, of course, is the artwork. The artwork is so wonderful. You've probably seen Brian Selznick's illustrations before, but. The baby monkey, he's so cute. He's, like, super adorable. And it's all done in, like, these pencil drawings. And it's, like, Jumanji-ish looking. But, like, if you take Jumanji and you turn the cute up to, like, 11, it's just... It, Jumanji is almost 40 years old, by the way. Can we talk about that for a second? Because that's blowing my mind. But anyway, it's just... It's so adorable. Baby monkey is the best. And it's going <laughs> to win the Pulitzer, for sure. Um, so, again, it's called Baby Monkey, Private Eye by Brian Selznick and David Serwin. I am delighted by that segment. We should talk about more kids' books on this show. <laughs> it's so cute. I think I, the day that I received it, I put it on Instagram, and I was like, Pulitzer winner, right? Baby monkey. I'm telling you. 
I mean, anybody who understands the tyranny of pants gets my vote. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, in addition to pants, sometimes we feel the tyranny of bras and that's a struggle. And you know that bra shopping is all about finding the right fit for you, which can be really tough. But now that's why we have Third Love. They are the only lingerie brand that offers bra sizes in AA through G. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit and feel great and that mold to your shape. You don't have to shove your body into some bra that doesn't actually feel good. Most old school bra brands only carry about 15 sizes, but Third Love offers 60 sizes, which includes half cups, and that's something that nobody else does. They know there's a perfect bra for everyone, and so right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go find the bra that you've been waiting for. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder quiz. It only takes about 60 seconds. You can do it all from home. You don't have to put pants on. You'll never have another awkward fitting room experience again. Try a Third Love bra. It is so comfortable, you might forget you're wearing it. Liberty and I are both huge fans. We've talked about these, you know, till the cows come home. But if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are easy and they're free. So this year, make the change that will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com books now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com books thirdlove.com slash books. Well, all right. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty proud of that segue. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. My next pick this week came out in January and I just picked it up a couple of weeks ago when I needed just a juicy novel to sink into. It's called This Could Hurt. It's a novel by Jillian Medoff and this is set in the office. I love a workplace book and it's hard to find them. Then We Came to the End is kind of the you know, pivotal big one. Uh, So I was really pleased to pick this up. The book revolves around Rose Guerrero, um, who is a woman of a certain age. I believe she's in her late 50s or early 60s. She has for a very long time been the head of the human resources department at a consumer research firm. And she's known as being sort of undaunted, but a very, very good boss. The people who work for her are just devoted to her. Um, I guess tough but fair is probably, um, and very shrewd would be a a good way to describe her. Um, Something happens to her, though, and it shakes up, the way that her life gets shaken up, shakes up the lives of all of her coworkers and the people who have reported to her who um, have been just relying on her for guidance and for support and to help their careers for quite a long time. And we get to meet all of those people too. So if you like a novel where the narration rotates or um, the point of view rotates between a bunch of different folks, you're going to like this. The carousel has a lot of different people on it. Um, And so you get to see like the ambitious young woman who's trying to come up and maybe take over one of the positions. You get to see a couple of people um, in middle age, sort of in ruts in their careers, trying to figure out their next steps, that balance between a home life that's happy or a work life that's really satisfying. Um, younger people navigating, like, what what do you do with your work wife? What do you do when you're attracted to somebody in the workplace? 
Um, but Rosa is just at the center of it all. And this plan that they concoct to help her with the thing that has happened to her um, is both really, really tender and funny and also kind of cringy. Like it, it's just if you've ever worked in an office, or I think this would be applicable to the academia experience too, you will relate to some of the, you know, hierarchy kinds of things and like the power struggles over tiny, tiny bits of power um, and the just the kind of stuff that happens in the workplace with that family, but not quite family dysfunctional situation. Um, it's really insightful. This was a really fun read, but it also has a whole lot of heart. It's not fluffy. And um, I thought it was great. I read it in like two sittings on a, over a weekend. So again, that's This Could Hurt. It's a novel by Jillian Medoff. My last pick is one that's actually coming out next week. It's just that the first Tuesday of the month has so many amazing books that I have such a hard time narrowing it down and I want to talk about them all. So I'm completely cheating by talking about one today. But it doesn't actually come out until March 6th. But it's really good and it's worth waiting for. It's called The Last Equation of Isaac Severy, a novel in clues by Noah Jacobs. Now Isaac Severy is an elderly, genius mathematician. Um, and at the beginning of the book, he dies in an apparent suicide. But then his granddaughter Hazel receives a letter that says it might actually have been a murder. It's a letter from him saying that he's going to be murdered and he knows it's coming. And, and he also tells her a couple of other things about an equation, like the last brilliant equation that he's written. Um, and so she's, she is in Seattle and she comes down to California to go to the funeral and to sort, sort his things out. Um, and she's trying to figure out like who would want to do him harm. And she's also meeting with old family members that she hasn't seen in a long time. Um, he has, there's a long lost cousin that appears suspiciously, or maybe not. Uh, Hazel's brother is a police officer and she wants to talk to him about it, but she's not supposed to trust anyone. She's not supposed to talk to anybody about this letter, so she doesn't know like if that even includes him. And so Hazel learns of this secret organization that was looking to work with Isaac about his last equation. Um, and she also... Uh, finds out that you know they're kind of like trailing her and trailing him and they're popping up in different places. She discovers like a secret apartment where he was working um, and she doesn't know who she can trust and she needs to find this equation before it falls into the wrong hands. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting and I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, but I will say I picked it up thinking it was going to be like the Western game for grownups. It's called A Novel in Clues. However, it's kind of misleading. It's not like a puzzle book for the reader. It's a novel in clues for the characters. The characters are getting these clues that they are solving the puzzle. It's not anything that like we could figure out before them. Um, but it, it's but as like a family drama, it's really smart. It's really interesting. I really enjoyed it. It's like a family drama that happens to have a mystery in it. Um, I thought it was fantastic. It's it's very um, Kevin Wilson or Jonathan Ooh. Tropper. You know, I really liked it. Um, it's like the Family Fang without the weird stuff. It's also compared to the storied life of A.J. Fickrey, which I didn't find to be comparable, other than Hazel owns a bookstore, but she doesn't even, you don't get to spend any time there with her, and she doesn't really talk about it and all this stuff, so I was like, eh, not a great comparison. But it's a great book. I thought it was fantastic. So again, it's called The Last Equation of Isaac Severy by Nova Jacobs. Someday we're going to do a whole show on publisher comp titles and all the ways that they're wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of, like, I actually, like, there, now that I'm saying it, I'm like, well, there is also family drama and there's this and that, but when I first read it, I was like, I, that did not strike me as being similar, <laughs> so I don't know. 
Um, well, my last pick this week is one that I'm looking forward to picking up this week. I didn't get an early copy of it. I'm going to listen to it on audio because this is right in my audio wheelhouse. It's Skin in the Game. Hidden Asymmetries in Daily Life by Nassim Taleb. Uh, He wrote The Black Swan, which was a big deal a couple of years ago. He's written a few other books. And he does kind of a mix of like modern behavioral economics and social psychology that I find to be really interesting and also practically applicable, which is nice. Um, And this book is about how um, the willingness to accept risk and base and have skin in the game as the title implies is one of the essential uh, personality traits of heroes and people that flourish in all walks of life and have success. Um, and so he looks at sort of challenging, long-held ideas about about what makes a person successful um, and to try to go to more of the data and observations about those things. And, and so it's stuff like... Um, for social justice, you should, I'm reading from the synopsis now, focus on symmetry and risk sharing because you can't make profits and transfer the risk to others as bankers and large corporations do. You can't get rich without owning your own risk and paying for your own losses. And when you have skin in the game, it corrects asymmetry better than a lot of laws and regulations. Um, that the world, also he says, um, minorities, as in like statistical minorities, um, not majorities run the world, as in it's not run by consensus, but by stubborn small groups of people who impose their taste and ethics and ideas on others. Um, Whole bunch of other stuff. It's about, you know, notions that we don't dissect very often and about risk management and the importance of taking risks and getting involved in the risk in your, you know, working life and your personal life. So I'm excited to learn more about that. It's again called Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb. Excellent. So those are new books this week and some other books and one book that's coming out next week that you were just too excited about. So <laughs> what are you going to read up space for next yeah. week. Um, I am going to start Mem by Bethany Morrow. It's her debut novel. I've been dying to get my hands on it since Sharifa talked about it. It's coming out from Unnamed Press in May. It sounds amazing. It says, set in the glittering art deco world of a century ago, Mem makes one slight alteration to history. A scientist in Montreal discovers a method allowing people to have their memories extracted from their minds whole and complete. The Mems exist as mirror images of their source, zombie-like creatures destined to experience that singular memory over and over until they expire in the vault where they are kept. But then there is Dolores, extract number one, the first Mem capable of creating her own memories. Ooh. It sounds amazing. I know that like everybody has been writing about it that has read it, so super excited. What are you going to read? I'm going to read A Wrinkle in Time. For the f- <gasps> I've never read it. Me either. That was Oh, really? Yeah, I was just thinking that this morning. That's crazy. Yeah. Um last week Amanda and I were talking about it and I was she was like, "Well, it doesn't come out until March." And I was still imagining that it was 2017 and the book wasn't yeah. coming out or the movie wasn't coming out for like another year and it was like, "Oh, actually that's in a couple of weeks." Um so I'm going to do it. I have uh, everybody loves this book and I can't wait to see the movie and I definitely want to know the source material going in. So I'm really excited. This was just one of those gaps in my childhood reading. I don't know how I missed it. Mine too. I feel exactly the same way. Well, maybe we can read it and talk about it together sometime. Yeah. yeah. Right. Since I well, never leave the house, I won't be seeing the movie anytime soon <laughs> anyway. So that's fine. Yeah. Another year or so. You got time to catch up. Yeah. 
Well, those are our new books and our old books and everything else this week. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsors, Dreadful Young Ladies by Kelly Barnhill and Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to get 15% off your first order. And don't forget, you can enter to win $500 worth of Penguin Clothbound Classics through March 13th by going to instagram.com slash book riot and clicking the sticky post at the top of our profile. If you have something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com. Our 150th episode is coming up soon. Maybe we'll do something special for that. I don't know. Talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you like the show and you want to take a minute to rate or review it on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. We should get drunk. <laughs> episode 150 completely hammered <laughs> or not I'm too old for that but as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our new books newsletter and in the meantime in the meantime happy, happy reading, reading.